Hello, Chapter Chat listeners. Welcome to another episode of our online book club. My name is Carrie Ebert, and I will be joined by my good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy. So we are going to wait for him to hop on here. And tonight we are going to be discussing uh, one or possibly two chapters from our current book club collection. It is called the Declarative Language Handbook. And the author is Linda K. Murphy, who is a speech language pathologist. There he is. Hello. <clears throat> How are you, sir? We are back in business. Whew, it has been a, a long week. We had to cancel last week, which I absolutely hated doing, but I was sick, 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 and haven't been that sick in a long time. Not COVID, yep, um, yep. <clears throat> but um, just the crud. I don't know, sinus infection, upper respiratory infection. So anyways, um, I'm on day nine, maybe day 10 of being sick. i about 85, close to 90% now, so I feel like tomorrow... I'm going to feel completely human. So I'm. Yes. It was definitely not the same, not doing chapter chat on a Monday. But no. if, if you're going to get sick and you're going to cancel, it was the right time to do it, right before yes. the holidays. And a lot, of, a lot of people were off. Uh, but yeah, Linda will be joining us again tonight. We'll get right yeah. back to the declarative language handbook. And it's so great to see all these people here. Yes. Uh, if, if you're an SLP on vacation this week, let us know. Let us know if you're on vacay. Yeah. Put put like put a little emoji there, and I hope that all you uh, therapists and parents. I hope everyone had a great holiday uh, with your family uh, and nice and relaxing away from work and able to spend yep. time together. Uh, but it's great to have have everyone back. And there's Linda. There's Linda. Hey, <laughs> hi. You? Good. You, jo you joined so quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to say that we. Because we didn't do it last week, I hope I'm right. Are we on chapter six? Does you that sure sound are. right? Okay. We talked Whew. about chapter five for the entire time last time. We did because Linda joined us and had so much awesome feedback. And uh, we got great feedback just on being able to have the author uh, join us. So we are super excited, Linda, that you're able to join us again as we talk about chapter six. And we'll see if we have time to uh, move on to chapter seven. So um, thank you uh, for um, bearing with me as I was ill. Uh, and we are back in business. So good to see you both. Are yeah. those Christmas nails I see? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Always, <laughs> always have to. Yeah, yeah. Always have to uh, be uh, in the season, right? So I remember you had the uh, I remember you had the Olympic nail. Oh, remember? so my son is pretty fascinated <laughs> with my nails. And so uh, when the Olympics uh, were uh, on TV, I was getting ready to go get my nails and he always asked, what color are you going to get? And I said, oh, I don't know, maybe pink. And he said, or you could do the colors of the five Olympic rings because you yep. have five fingers on each hand. So <laughs> I did. I had a green finger and a yellow finger. I had five different colored fingers. Yeah, it was quite the, quite the look. So anyway. And I saw he got, a, I saw he got an Xbox, was it? No. What did he get? He got. or Switch, a Switch. No, no. He Mario already has that. Yeah, it was a he... Switch with, with Mario Kart, right? He got a Mario Kart Hot Wheels toy. So it was, oh. I found a combination that was a Hot Wheels toy, but they were Mario Kart themed cars. So he was in absolute hog heaven because he didn't know the toy even existed because it was a Costco exclusive. So he doesn't oh. shop at Costco. So he had no idea. But my, Linda, um, how, how, how were your yeah, holidays? Well, we also got Mario Kart and Hot Wheels in my house as well. <laughs> Excellent. I think no. my son and your your boys would get along very well. Yeah. 
everyone loves Mario Kart. We, we have Mario Kart at my office, at my clinic. Oh, you do? It's, it's, yeah. it's a, like whether it's high schoolers or middle school or elementary or college graduates, that's Everybody one game. That, that's one game that is timeless. That yep. all, all, even adults, the, the, the adults grew up on it and they yep. play it. Yeah, it's, so it's kind of interesting. It's so easy and so fun. It's great. Well, you say it's easy. I'm not allowed to play because I'm so bad. So Aaron will not allow me to play, but I can watch. So anyway, not bad. All right. So we are going to talk about chapter six tonight and chapter six. I just have to say, um, Mike and I have been talking about this topic for as long as we've been doing sure the book club. Uh, and the name of the chapter is making mistakes is okay. And that's pretty important. So um, tell us about uh, just in a nutshell, what, what is so important about this chapter, uh, Linda? Well, making mistakes are important for learning, and it makes me so sad when they're not allowed to happen with kids that we work with. Um, I think people sometimes focus on the right answer rather than the process of learning how to fix a mistake, which I think uh -huh. is where it's at in life. Like, we're all yeah. going to make mistakes as long as we live, uh -huh. and we have to be able to know how to repair and fix. That's the dynamic skill in life, not being right all the time. That's correct. right. So, That's right. And we yeah. have kids who have a lot of anxiety, uh, don't mm. they, about if yeah. I if I fail, kids who are afraid to fail, kids who are afraid to not do it the right way. Um, and I think sometimes we even end up with kids who have that learned helplessness, like, well, I can't. And they're not mm. even willing to try because they're pretty sure that they're going to do it wrong. So they just don't even attempt it. So then they fall into that. Well, I just I can't do it. Yeah. Uh, so that that can definitely be an issue. Mike, when you were reading this chapter, it, did you write anywhere uh, in the book the word uh, on this chapter growth mindset? No, how, how? <laughs> I, I, growth mindset, resilience, all of that. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. Linda, uh, an ongoing theme we have here uh, in chapter chat is we every book we've read so far has stressed the importance of executive functions without actually using the phrase executive functions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I'm finding is I'm pretty much writing the name of the executive function skill next to the name of the chapter. So this uh -huh. one is obviously resilience, resilience. So build, building resilience. Yep. Mm -hmm. Chapter seven uh, is mental flexibility. Yep. Chapter, <laughs> chapter, yep. chapter five great. was perspective taking. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting, you know, like, uh, did you when you were writing this book, did you think about using the phrase executive functions? Was it something you wanted yeah. to stray away from? I didn't. I just didn't think of it in that way. I think when I was writing it, I was thinking primarily about social communication and social learning. And that's uh -huh. my angle. Um, but then I got more comfortable with the idea of executive function and co-regulation handbook. Yes. Oh. So there's a whole chapter on executive function and how co-regulation work together. Um, but I wasn't thinking about it in this book. For me, it was just about social communication, social learning, and how to and relationships. I think is it is is where my heart was at in declarative language. Like if we want to help kids be able to form authentic relationships and friendships, we have to, you know, do that ourselves or just model the way. Absolutely. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. I um I have to say there was one um on page thirty eight. You used a term that I not only highlighted but I drew an arrow next to it. Um, and the term is errorless learning. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I find this really interesting because this is a strategy that a lot of times behaviorists will use um, to make sure that a child does it the right way, doesn't have a chance to fail or to not be successful. Um, mm -hmm. Can you just talk to us a little bit about why you're not a huge fan of errorless learning? Yeah, well, 
You know, I just, when I've observed it, it just makes me really sad and uncomfortable. So the minute a child makes a mistake, perhaps the person supporting them is counting to three in their head and they get in there and fix it immediately if the child doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that just undermines the student's agency. It will create more anxiety. Um, it, It teaches them to fear being wrong. It, like you just said a minute ago, it's going to prevent them from taking risk in the future for fear uh-huh. of being corrected. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, so I just hate when I see that. Yeah. It breaks my heart when I see that. Yeah, it really does. So. And I love how you say that one of our roles is to help kids be okay with making mistakes. It's our responsibility to allow mistakes to happen in a safe context so that kids can develop skill and confidence in fixing their mistakes. The use of errorless learning where a child is prompted to give the right answer within a few seconds works against this goal. Mm-hmm. I just feel like you just articulated it so beautifully as to why we need to rethink that idea of, of error learning. So I really appreciated uh, that paragraph in this chapter. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing, I'm sorry, Mike. No, yeah, go ahead. Please. But, um, because the other piece too that I didn't mention, but you just did, is that it also reinforces rote learning versus dynamic problem solving and just mm-hmm. like, and thinking for ourselves what that right answer might be and discovering it, it just slaps on right answer without thought. Well, and I think this kind so. of maybe plays into the next chapter that, or maybe it was the one we just read now, I don't know, but um, this idea that maybe there's more than one, what is it, more than one way to skin a cat? There's maybe more than one answer. I mean, there's not always just one right, right way to solve a problem or one right way to think about, you know, uh, how to solve a problem. So to me, teaching problem solving skills, this is what I say. So my my uh, son is autistic and he's 17. And um, as of right now, my husband and I anticipate he will live here at home. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but at least, you know, immediately after high school, this is probably where he'll live. And um, I always say when people, ask me about his independence and or you know that is that our biggest thing holding us back is his difficulty with problem solving because like for example he knows that if there's when he's here home alone because we do he has a phone and you know we have a ring and anyways we have all these precautions in place but he's he can stay home alone an hour or two at a time and so he knows if there's an emergency he could call 911 right so he he can tell you that but I'll say well buddy but what if you um, don't need to call 911 or what if your phone isn't charged or what if you can't find your phone in the moment so I kind of throw some scenarios out there and he always replies I'll call 911 I'll say but what if you can't find your phone he's like I call 911 if there's an emergency mom and he just keeps going back to that because he doesn't have the mental flexibility and that problem solving skill to go well let me think about this I mean I know the neighbors John and Bobby so I could probably go over there and ask them for help right or um, I know the neighbors on the other side not quite as well but I could probably go over there so you know just this whole idea of being able to to think about more than one option and he is not yet able to do that so that is where I see um you know his biggest um I guess um issue preventing him from independence is difficulty with uh problem solving mm-hmm. yeah I, I would say this this chapter uh in, in and of itself making mistakes is okay and talking about kids being comfortable making mistakes comfortable taking risks uh, I, I think it's re- it's really uh, it's really fascinating, and I think this is something that parents today really really connect with the most. So when I'm talking to parents, uh, when I do like my intake calls or parent trainings, whatever it is, and I'm talking about 
uh, you know, self, uh, self, uh, the ability to take risks and the ability to uh, uh, try new things and non-preferred tasks. That's when they're always like, oh, wow, yeah, that's it. He has so much difficulty with non-preferred tasks, whether it's non-screens in the home, whether it's completing academic tasks at school, or whether it's reaching out to friends and hanging out with them in person. So this is what we're seeing so much of today in this world of instant gratification, where uh, so many kids are creating this incredibly small and narrow comfort zone of screens, of video games, phones, YouTube, TikTok, mm -hmm. social media, those things where it's just instant gratification where they're they're not kids today have such less opportunity to sit with their feelings sit with their thoughts sit with their imagination and really do that mental play and yeah. you know the way i describe it is kids today really have that need for speed like they need to have instant gratification and they can't Kids today really need training on how to be bored and how mm -hmm. to persevere through a non-preferred task. And they, and they go so deep into these preferred tasks, into these screen-based instant gratification safe, tasks. Safe tasks safe that tasks. don't require them to take a risk. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that when something new comes up, whether it's a new club or a new sport or a new friend or a new chore, whatever it may be, they instantly don't want to do it because of the learning curve. Because right. it know, might be hard. It they, might, yeah, might they not know, do it right. They know they won't be good at it the first, second, third, fourth time they try it. They want to be good at it the first time. So they don't, right. so kids today don't want to make mistakes because they feel like an instant mistake is an instant failure. Unlike mm -hmm. screens where they're, they're in control from the beginning. So this right. is something parents are seeing that are really, really concerning them mm -hmm. is this fixed mindset this narrow comfort zone and this inability to try new things. Well, and think about it on the screens. Mm -hmm. If you're not doing well, let's say you're playing a game and you're, you're failing, you're not doing well. You can literally just shut it off or yeah. hit reset. You can start over. So you don't ever really have to fail. Right. Unlike let's say a board game where if we all sat down and played, you know, Monopoly or played a, a, an actual yeah. game, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a bunch of losers. Right. And so that's, again, I know I bring up board games all the time, mm -hmm. but to me, that is just such a, a huge thing. Families are always asking, aren't they Mike, what can we do at home? What can we do at home? What can we do at home? I am telling you playing things like card games and board games, it's going to help, right. Develop that ability to, Oh, um, okay. I have to solve a problem. And there's, I'm always talking about on social media, these games like man, Kayla is one of those oh, games. Yeah where you have to think four or five steps ahead, kind of like chess, right? Um, Stratego is another really fun battle game. Um, uh, uh, what's even the one with the ships? Battleship. You know, Battleship. that's one that you can play with younger Mastermind, kids, but it requires them to think um, ahead, to really plan, to organize their thoughts. I mean, I am telling you, I think that the, the lack of board games, the lack of um, card games, I think we're seeing that um, result in more and more difficulty with, you know, executive, executive functions. Um, and the biggest thing is the lack of outside play and the lack oh. of non-adult directed play. Well, how about That's just climbing it. trees, you climbing, know, and, and yeah. non, engaging in non risky play. risky play. That's the biggest yeah. thing. You like, when's the last time you drove around your neighborhood and you saw a group of kids on bikes driving around, playing sports, mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. things? You playing really in the street. 
No, they're all in their basement playing Xbox, playing yeah. Mario Kart, doing something. So, the, you know, there, you know, there's, but it's okay. Those things are okay in, in small doses. Right. But when it becomes hours and hours and hours and, per day and creates a lack of varied experiences. And how sad is it that playing outside is a non-preferred activity now? Terrible. I mean, Terrible. let's think about that for a minute. Terrible. When Mike talks about yep. non-preferred activities, I think what most people hear is, oh, he's got to do chores. Oh, he's got to do homework, non-preferred activities. I am telling you, we are talking about things like walking the dog is a non-preferred activity. Riding your bike is a non-preferred activity. Playing outside is a non-preferred activity. Hanging out in person with your friends, okay, yep. is a non-preferred yep. activity. It's Going bowling. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's everything. So we take as human beings the path of least resistance. And unfortunately, the path of least resistance is let's just stay home. Let's yeah. just, and what mm -hmm. did COVID do? COVID made that not only possible, but necessary, right? Oh, when, now y'all are going to stay home. <laughs> when we were kids, you got in trouble and you were like, go to your room. Uh -huh. Now it's, you're getting trouble. Go outside. Go outside. Yeah. <laughs> give me your phone. Give me your video game. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So getting back to this chapter, I have another term that I wrote. And it's, uh, again, on page 38, it's where you said um, our responsibility is to allow mistakes to happen in a safe context so kids can develop skill and confidence in fixing mistakes. And what I wrote right next to that was child-sized adversity. Yes. That's a term Mike and I have yes. used in probably every book we've read thus far is when we talk about allowing kids to have adversity, we're not talking about trauma, right? We're not talking about like these really big adult, you know, problems that you and I have to deal with, but we are talking about allowing child size adversity to happen. So kids can practice failing, right. And practice, um, uh, uh, fixing those, those mistakes. So, um, what do you, what else do you want to talk about, Linda? I'm trying to see here if there's anything else on, uh, in early in the chapter that you gave some really great examples about Desmond. Um, <laughs> that's one of your sons, correct? Yeah. He doesn't like to make mistakes. So he doesn't he's like the to, one. Still to this day. He's, how old is he? Oh, he's hard on himself. He's nine. Uh -huh. He'll be 10 in February. Um, okay. Yeah, and he, even recently this fall, he made a mistake on something, and he just it bums him out, but, you know, he, he gets past it, but it's just very hard for him. He's a little yeah. perfectionist, so he's so a checkers can you, player. Do you find yourself having to use declarative language in those situations then to help him yeah. kind of get through it? Yeah, and what I would say, too, another thing that is important is I don't have to change his feelings about the mistake. Like it's okay to feel disappointed about the mm -hmm. mistake or it's okay to have those feelings and just create space for it. Um, so I might use declarative language like, you know, I understand. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, and then maybe spotlight the learning or give space for him to fix the mistake or discover how to fix it on his own, mm -hmm. but, they, but be there to help if needed. Um, so I think, like you said, just that child size adversity of working through those little negative mm -hmm. feelings to come out the other side. So yeah. We, so we yeah. always talk about the importance of varied experiences mm -hmm. and how it's so important for kids to, to do other things, non-screen based activities, right? So like a parent has to ask themselves, how many non-screen based activities did my child have today? But what's just as important, if not more important than varied experiences is interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. So interpersonal relationships and varied experiences are the two most powerful things in developing executive functions and independent skills. And I think you highlighted that beautifully in this chapter is what is the strongest way for kids to feel comfortable making mistakes is when adults 
who they look up to, who they look to for direction to model their mistakes and externalize their mistakes yep. mm -hmm. and externalize how you work through it and how, oh, like, oh, oh, there's traffic. Let's find a new route or yeah. oh, I made mm -hmm. a mistake there. All the different ways that you can just externalize how you're doing mental play, how you're using positive self-talk, how you're being kind to yourself in the mm -hmm. face of stress, in the face of adversity. Yep. That goes such a long way towards a young kid with a developing mind, you know, to see your parent or to see an adult make a mistake, admit the mistake. Because you say right here on page 37, uh, we want kids to accept their mistakes, respond to their mistakes, and manage them. And yep. when you have a high school senior graduating and they have those three skills, ability to accept, respond, and manage mistakes, that to me is more important than any grade they have on their transcript. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, and Linda, on page 37, you said for some kids, failure leads to that fight, flight, or freeze response, doesn't it? Like, uh, yeah. well, now I can't, I can't move forward. I can't function. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at math. I'm, I, I stink at spelling. You know, whatever <laughs> it is, whatever they failed at, right? Then they yeah. automatically assume that if they failed once, then that means no good at it, won't do it again. Yeah. I thought um, of that. Yeah, go ahead, Linda. Oh, sorry. Just another example that I think about. I, I do this with my own kids, but also kids that I work with. Like when I mess up, I, you know, I admit it to them, but I also apologize. You know, if I made a mistake with my kids, I made an assumption that was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll definitely come back and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong about that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, well, you even said there. in here, I'm sorry, I thought you said you did want blueberries on your pancakes, right? Mm -hmm. So we do make yeah. mistakes and just being able to apologize. The other thing yeah. I love that you say, and I have it highlighted and I have it circled, is saying as the adult, oh, my bad. My yeah. bad, meaning, yeah. guess what? We all make mistakes, even as the mom or the dad or the SLP or the teacher. We, yeah. we sometimes make mistakes. So being able to own up to that instead of trying to sweep our mistakes under the rug and not let kids see us, you know, assuming that adults are perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're all mm -hmm. going to make mistakes. I have to tell you about this scenario. So I was taking Aaron to horseback riding lessons and it's about 30 minutes away. And we kind of take these back roads and on our way home, um, we were about three miles from our house and there were a bunch of um, police cars and traffic had come to a complete stop and we obviously weren't going to get through. And so cars started turning around. There had been a big, big accident. So cars had started turning around and we were like third in line. So I could see the accident and I could see there's no way this is going to be cleaned up anytime soon. So I said to Aaron, I think we're going to have to turn around. And he started to panic and he said, we have to go back to horseback. And I said, oh no, 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 we're going to find a different way home. And he said, how? And I said, I don't honestly know, but we're going to figure it out. And so mm -hmm. we went back the way we came and I was talking out loud and explaining to him, I think we're going to turn here and it should come out on that same road. So we're driving and Aaron goes, do you know where we are? And I said, no, but we're going to figure it out together. And we drove by this beautiful lake that we didn't even know was there so it's so funny now every week when we go to horseback <laughs> he says mom remember when there was that accident and we took a detour and we went a different way by the lake and we found uh. that beautiful lake and it's so neat to me because he still um you know recalls it and talks about how we we took a detour that's when he learned the word detour and he oh, figured out awesome. what that meant but it just makes me think that that was probably a really powerful experience for him you know was to yeah. be a, a part of um something where we had to you know, there was, we had changed our plans and, and you was, formed that episodic memory with him. Of, and yes. Oh, entering into territory, too. you know, where you didn't know what was going to happen next, but you knew you had the skills to figure it out in the yep. moment. You're yep. equipped. So you modeled that for him.
Yeah. And Isn't that exciting? Yeah. It's neat to think about real life experiences mm-hmm. that in the moment you don't even realize that's what you're teaching your child, yeah. you know, until I read this book, I'm like, wow. <laughs> and there's <laughs> so really, and there's really so many different ways to model this mental flexibility and this resilience and this ability to problem solve through mistakes. Cause what's the one thing that every single book story book has every single movie has, what's the one story element they all have? little quiz for you guys. Oh, right. Um, the conflict, right? Conflict. conflict yeah. exactly. And a resolution. Every, There's got to be a yeah. resolution. There you go. Yeah. Every single story, every single movie, whatever it is. So if you're doing, if, if a, you're doing shared book reading with a child, if you just go to the movies, you watch a movie, you watch Home Alone or you watch right, Spider-Man right. or you watch something with your child, on the way home or after the movie, break down. Like, okay. Uh, what did you know, he do? Yeah, what was yeah, the problem? Yeah, what, what, mm-hmm. what mistake did Kevin McAllister make? What, what did he do? Like, uh, what could he have done to prevent this problem? How did he learn from his mistakes? What happened at the end? How was he bigger and stronger after mm-hmm. making his mistakes and trying new things? So help them to pinpoint those little areas of these characters that they, they now have an emotional connection to and, of and- what mistakes they made and how they learned from it. And that's what's so cool is that's why I never like to say that screen time in and of itself is inherently bad. I'm telling you, screen time can be used, you know, the stories, because they're narratives, right? That's what a movie Mm -hmm. or a show is, is a narrative. So I love that, Mike, just showing parents how you can just take in the moment, even just pausing, you know, and, oh, we need to get up and get popcorn. Well, let's pause it and talk about what's happened so far. How many problems has poor Kevin had already, you know? (laughs) And so I, I really, I really appreciate that. The term I really like on page 42, I know this is maybe not that big a deal, but I really like the way you say, this is where active problem solving skills develop. And I like that you add the word active problem solving. It's not just problem solving, but it's that idea of, and you say here, we as adults, we need to make sure we don't butt in and just try to fix the mistake for them. Because I think as adults, isn't that pretty easy to do? Oh, no, that's Mm -hmm. not right, sweetie. Do it this way. Oh, that doesn't go there. Oh, you know, it's, I wonder if we all stopped ourselves while we're parenting or while we're in a session and really caught ourselves every time we tried to fix, you know, be fixers. I wonder how many times we would stop ourselves. It's kind of an interesting thing. How many times does that happen to a student with an IEP? Oh, think about, think about I can't that. even imagine. How many times does an IEP or a 504 accommodation save a child from having to problem solve independently? That's something I'm always coaching parents on in terms of hmm. fading supports of IEPs, fading supports of 504s. We want kids to learn how to problem solve independently. So, so you know, the way this, this IDEA uh, is now, parents will hire advocates to get the biggest IEP possible, as many accommodations possible. Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to make sure that my son has late assignments, extended time, every, every accommodation for my mm-hmm. child, because that, that's what he deserves and that's what he gets. But it's so important to look as they get older and as the skills are gained for these accommodations to fade so the student mm-hmm. can independently problem solve, know what to take home, know when to submit, uh, you, you can't chunk assignments forever. You want the right. student to be able to chunk assignments themselves. Right. Well, and how about as these students get older, being able to self-advocate so yeah. that it's not, so they can go to the teacher and say, I do better when I 
X, Y, or Z, right? Being able mm-hmm. to say, because when you get to college, right? Being just knowing, or when you get a job that, you know, I struggle with this and I need extra time for this, but, you know, or I may need you to show me more than once, um, you know, for this. So I think self-advocacy is something that goes right along with independence. And as a parent of an autistic child, that is something that I focus a lot on is helping Aaron be able to self-advocate, you know, and help him to know that um, being autistic isn't a negative. It just means you learn differently, right? And you get to be able to say, um, that's hard for me, or I need extra help with this. And um, yeah, so I I also have to say, Lynn, on page 42, uh, this is so cool. If the the problem is bigger than the child's current toolbox... And I love how you talk about this, that there are going to be times where you can't just sit back and wait because the child may not have, right, those, mm-hmm. those tools necessary. But I love how you immediately go back to chapter three and you say yep. they will likely then visually reference you for guidance. Mm-hmm. And you did a whole chapter on visual <laughs> referencing, which I just, that was my favorite chapter, I think, so far. Um, uh, and so, you know, how I love how you tie this together, that they're going to sit back and visually reference you, um, because you have quietly waited for them to invite you. Talk to mm-hmm. us about that, Linda. I just love Beautifully. that. Beautifully. That was, that was yeah. very, be- very beautiful. Mm. <laughs> well, so one of the things I was thinking about, um, so even like accommodations for IEPs, for example, like, I think it's definitely we want to get kids towards independence, but part of that is the educator in the moment, knowing how to dynamically fade in and out based Mm -hmm. on the current skill set in the moment and the situation at hand. Um, So I think, you know, it's really important for us to wait quietly while kids work through something like it is okay for us to let them make that mistake so that they can discover the mistake and perhaps fix it. Mm -hmm. Um, But and then just letting kids have that moment of effort where they're trying to work through something and they discover on their own, like either, oh, I made a mistake, I can fix Mm -hmm. it or, oh, I made a mistake and I'm stuck. And I need Um, help. Mm -hmm. And I need help. And it's in Mm -hmm. that moment that they might ask for help or look to you for help. And as long as you haven't butted in too quickly, they're ready to receive the help because they've sought it out. Whereas I think if we if we come in with help too quickly before their mind is open and ready for that new information, then they're going to be defensive about it rather than inviting of it. Um, So timing on our part is really important just to be able to read the cues in the moment. Um, Just that feedback from kids in the moment to know whether I need to wait quietly or edge in based Uh on open and I like the moment. visual referencing I just keep going back to that I, I realize now I use that a lot with my son where instead of using words I may just point to something or I may just you know model something in the moment to see if he kind of picks up on that instead of always going immediately to oh buddy try it this way or it goes there or, you know immediately mm-hmm. trying to jump in with our words and I love on page 39 I have three little arrows pointing to this you said declarative <laughs> statements and the timing of their delivery and that's what you yeah. just said and the timing yeah. of their delivery are important important when it comes to repairing mistakes. So I really think if you're a parent or if you're a therapist and you're thinking about your sessions, um, that it's really important that we start thinking about timing, right? And mm-hmm. when is it time to, to pause and give them space? I love how you use that term space, right? Yeah. To experience the mistake or to think about, um, you know, a way to repair it and to kind of wait for them to invite us in for assistance, you know, to request mm-hmm. help or to um, uh, wait for us to, uh, you know, model. So I just, your, your, your uh, use of, of, of 
of words is just <laughs> impeccable. The way you say things in so few words and they're so powerful, so. There is really just, you know, it's so simply said, there is so much power in the pause. It mm -hmm. is, it's, yes. it's so, it is so crucial to language. It gives kids a chance to process information and visual referencing is basically a much cooler way of saying perceiving their environment. And if mm -hmm. you can't perceive oh. your environment, if you can't perceive your environment, there's no executive functioning. There's no language. There's no joint attention. There's no internal mental play problem solving. Uh, I, I see a lot of SLPs that specialize in AAC always talking about the power pause. of the pause mm -hmm. and waiting and giving kids a chance to process and go through their vocabulary and, and figure out what they want to say. But it's not just that. Of course, it's super important in that area. But it's also, you know, when you're with a kid one on one and you, you, they need to take the time to process their internal language, you know, the ability to pause and have them perceive their environment, understand as a problem understand you know do a little bit a bit, a bit of mental play oh mom is right there my friend is right there i can ask them for help i they okay. can help me with this so that pause is so crucial to language and it's so crucial to executive functioning because okay. of the ability to use your episodic memory has this problem happened before is there something in this area who can help me what resources do I have at my disposal in this environment? Uh, so that pause is, it's hand in hand with language. It's part of nonverbal language is the ability to pause, process, and then, and then respond. Yeah, and I, I, on the very last page of this chapter, I think one of my favorite things is that you listed some books that we can actually use with kids. I mean, how oh, great yeah. is Amelia Bedelia, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, that poor character is just always uh, making, you know, silly, ridiculous mistakes and then having to solve problems. Um, Beautiful Oops was another one. Uh, mistakes that worked. Don't be afraid to drop. Uh, your fantastic elastic brain, stretch it, shape it, and the most magnificent thing. So those are some of the books that you listed. Of, of those, do you have a favorite one? Is there one that yeah. you or I think, I mean, the, the, some of them are fun, but I just love mistakes that worked. Okay. Because oh, it just yeah. goes through different mistakes that became something important, but wasn't anticipated. So like the potato chip or the chocolate chip cookie yeah. or a Frisbee or silly putty. Isn't that um, something? Yeah. So I just love like just talking about those with kids, like maybe reading the book or just all you have to do is read one chapter or a couple uh -huh. of pages uh -huh. to give them an example of how mistakes are often good things. So, yeah. Huh. And, 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 um, the, uh, and the, the leaning tower of Pisa. There's so many great examples of yeah. mistakes that turned out great. And, right. uh, and everything great that happened was never, ever on the first try. So mm -hmm. no one ever accomplished something instantly. It was always, you know, a million mistakes. Like, uh, like Michael Jordan has the quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And uh, he, <laughs> like Michael, Michael Jordan got, uh, got cut from his high school team and went on to be the best basketball mm -hmm. player of all time. So uh, the more we can teach kids these stories, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these real world stories are so impactful to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing, angle that can be nice is just helping kids laugh at mistakes or know, like, yeah, we all feel embarrassed yeah. when we make mistakes, but they can uh -huh. be funny. 
So I tell, you know, I tell some of my famous mistakes sometimes or, you know, when I was in eighth grade and I got my very first basket playing on the basketball team, but it was in the wrong team's basket. (laughs) So I'm like, it's still painful to me to this day, but Uh I tell that story just so I can laugh about it. Or my sister, I remember one, you know, one day she wore two different shoes to school by accident or by mistake. So we we laugh about that. Um, so even just to bring out mistakes of the past that were embarrassing in the moment, but you can laugh at now that some time has gone by. And that, I think that's can wonderful. Be fun. Yeah. On page just, 43, you said we can actually use declarative statements that empower kids around mistakes. Things like, I'm sure you can handle that mistake or that mistake mm-hmm. made me laugh or let's see how we can fix this. I bet we can do it together. Or yeah. I remember making this mistake before. <laughs> I can help if you need it. Or I bet you will figure this out. I'm here if you need me. So I really appreciate your examples of declarative statements because, again, I know we have parents who who listen to this and they're always like, but what can I do at home? You know, what can Mm -hmm. I do at home? And so I really appreciate how you give uh, such specific examples that we can use in therapy as speech-language pathologists, but also educators can use these examples and, of Mm -hmm. course, parents, grandparents. So it is fabulous. (laughs) All right. How about if we move on to Chapter 7? Let's do it. Sounds good. So chapter seven is called Thinking in Alternatives and Possibilities. So Mike, Uh, what's the executive function? Mental flexibility. Mental flexibility, baby. That's right. That's our big one. This is a huge one we see. So in the beginning, uh, chapter six, we're talking about resilience and not wanting to make mistakes, not wanting to do any non-preferred tasks, not wanting to do any new tasks because of the learning curve. Now we're talking about mental flexibility and what is the opposite of mental flexibility? Rigid thinking, mm-hmm. black and white thinking. And mm-hmm. you talk about, you talk about- You actually about, use oh, that term, yeah, I think, black and white. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you, the vast majority of students I see today are black and white thinkers. This is easy, this is hard. This is cool, this is dumb. I'm mm-hmm. a math, uh, I'm a science guy, I'm not a math person. Right. It's so unbelievable how they just put labels on something. They think that their strengths are finite. They think that their weaknesses are finite. Everything's and set fixed. Set, Everything's fixed, fixed, right? Set in stone and never going to change. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so then you talk about um, Linda, you know, then it leads to challenging behavior, right? Because oh, yeah. this is so, so talk to us a little bit about uh, writing this chapter and, and what you think some of the most important uh, things are to pull from it. Yeah, so definitely, we all know kids that think in terms of black and white, right and wrong. But I think the most important thing is to become aware of when we approach kids in that way as educators in a right and wrong context, or mm. we're assuming there's one way to do it. Um, because I find the most powerful thing I can do is just let go and assume that there's more than one way to do something. And Uh I might not have thought of something really interesting that the child will. So if I, again, am quiet, (laughs) but create that safe space and maybe a little bit of scaffolding to get ideas going, like the kids will really come up with great things, but I have to let go. Like that's the first thing. Exactly. It's just knowing we have to let go and invite what whatever that child or kids might bring to the table. I, I and love know that, that it will be beautiful, you know. 
Right. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that one of our biggest issues, at least it seems like currently in our country, is that if you don't think the way I think, then you and I can't be friends, right? That we, mm-hmm. can't, we can't have a relationship if we think differently about whether it's politics or vaccinations or whatever it is. So I really think this is important that we uh, understand how critical it is to um, teach children that there are different ways of thinking. There are different ways of perceiving things, and we can have different opinions. Because I work with very, very young children, I'm always talking about mental flexibility uh, starting, you know, in early childhood with toys. So when parents see a toy like this, I mean, they know the right way to play with it, right? But I mm-hmm. always encourage parents to say, just take all the little the little doodads <laughs> off and don't have any expectations about what is right or wrong. Like parents get really nervous or frustrated or anxious if their child is putting things on the wrong color. You know what I mean? Or if they start like putting them on their fingers instead, you know, or, or whatever it is. Yep. Whereas this is absolutely what I want to see is how many different items can you actually stack these on, you know? Um, Let's see. Oh, gee, they fit on the pen. Do they fit on the Sharpie marker? I wonder. Maybe, you know? So I am always trying to encourage that, and it seems like so much of the time, the early childhood teacher or the parent is like, no, 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 play with it the right way. So Mm -hmm. there is no right way to play. I always tell parents that really the only thing I, I don't want is unless you're a baby, I don't want toys in your mouth. You know, we don't want to put them in your mouth. Um, And unless it's a ball, I really don't want you to throw it. So throwing it and mouthing it are really the only, you know, rules that I have in play. Otherwise, I love, and that's why I love something called loose parts play, where you just get a whole bunch of random objects and items and see what kids want to do with them. Instead Mm -hmm. of toys that have rules, a definitive beginning and a definitive ending point, you give a kid a shapes order. What if they don't put the shapes in the shapes order? Couldn't they do other things with it? Shouldn't we encourage them to do other things with it? So that's where I am in early childhood in starting to prepare children for thinking in alternatives and thinking in different possibilities and having mental flexibility. So if you're a parent of a young child, I don't want you to think, well, this doesn't apply, you know, because I have a toddler. It absolutely applies if you have, you know, a very young child. Uh, And so that's where I I love to use the idea of play-based learning to kind of teach some of these Mm -hmm. skills as well. And Linda, you described this really, really beautifully on the, in the very first chapter on page, uh, very first paragraph on page 44. Uh, so when a child has a behavior because their go-to situation uh, does not work, when faced with a situation, a teacher or caregiver's first instinct may be to force a change in the behavior. Behavior change is fine, of course, but where can we make the biggest impact in the long term right. is to mm-hmm. address the problem at the point of thinking. That is That paragraph speaks volumes, <laughs> volumes. So I read that and, you know, I think it's a little bit of a subliminal jab at ABA therapy a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, but, but overall, it's, 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 be- it's perfectly said. And yeah. you, those words are so powerful because... How much, how much of what education is all about, how much of mm-hmm. what parenting has become is about just change this, don't do that, that's inappropriate. Uh, right. And really just adult interference when what we're really trying to do, what we need to do is focus on the internal. So we mm-hmm. want to change the external behavior, but we're ignoring the internal thinking, the internal yeah. mental play. Yeah, and I was thinking another way, I can't remember if I said this when we were on last time, but the way I talk about it a lot now too is that we want to give versus get. So yeah, when we're ooh. focused on behavior change, we're trying to get something for the t- from the child, but get them to do something. 
Um, but when we're focusing on information or just giving them different thought patterns, we're giving, but we're not forcing change or trying to get change in the moment. We're just giving with trust in the future that those things will grow. Huh. Yeah. That's, that's very profound. And on page 44, you talk about kids get stuck and they feel like they've hit a dead end. Well, here's the deal. When it comes to problem solving in life, in real life situations, there is no such thing as a dead end. I mean, you're mm -hmm. going to have to figure something out, right? So um, there isn't um, a, a, a time where we just say, well, I guess I just won't solve that problem. We had a water leak in our, in our storage <laughs> room and oh my gosh, it was awful. I mean, it was like, we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. I mean, what are we going to do? Just walk away and go, well, I guess it'll just fix itself no I mean you have to start moving stuff and we had to pull all the you know I mean the the what my husband and I had to go through I'm like oh my gosh like it required some intense on the you know in the moment um problem solving so mm -hmm. we want to prepare children for um uh those um those real life situations when solving problems oh my my favorite shirt is dirty I was going to wear it to school and it's not clean Okay, well, you know, I'm, let's talk, you know, what do you, what, what's the plan? You know, I mean, because mm -hmm. it's not going to get washed. Um, you can wear it dirty. You know, there's an option. I mean, let's talk <laughs> through what are our mm -hmm. options, right? So that's where I think, again, coaching parents is going to be really helpful uh, in, in really identifying ways to think in alternatives and possibilities. Yeah. And, and I might add it. to what you were just saying, if that's okay. Um, Please do. Like an activity that I love to do with kids, no matter what it is that you're doing, is just brainstorm, oh, you know, yes. where, where you actually write down ideas, no matter what they are. Um, yes. And yes. because I think kids sometimes don't even want to say an idea until they feel like they have the just right idea. Oh. Whereas if you just get in the process of writing all ideas, or I just say to kids, all ideas are good enough to write down because okay. then you can just write them all down and then you can look at what you have. And then you can get into the process of deciding which are the best fit for the situation that you have. Um, but even if kids are brainstorming ideas, like the grown up in the moment might think, Ooh, that will never work, but don't say it because you uh, can yeah, still write yeah, it yeah. down. All ideas yeah. are good enough to write down. And then as you go further along, you can help the child discover that maybe that one idea that, you know, isn't mm -hmm. going to work. They could figure out why it might not work at that but moment. But see, figuring out the why, the adult. isn't that right. part of problem solving is right. not just, oh, that's a dumb idea. Because that's what yeah. a lot of times peers or siblings will say. That's stupid. That's dumb. Right, that won't right. work. But we write it down because we should really think about, well, why won't it work? I mean, there right. must be, for you to say mm -hmm. that, there must be a reason why. So that's where I think the, that ability to think about thinking, you know, that mm -hmm. metacognitive ability yes. to say, well, why won't it work though? I mean, let's right. really talk about this. So I love how you use that term brainstorming. And I love how you talk about it invites ideas from everyone that way. And who knows, mm -hmm. you may come up with an idea that nobody else was even thinking about remotely. So it right. may be a little off the wall, but it may get people thinking, oh, well, we never even thought about going that direction. Mm -hmm. So my husband and I just had our brainstorm session. Um, since we own our own business, we always kind of, we've just been sick for so long this, this last month, but um, we always try to make plans, you know, for the next year, what are we going to do? And so we just sat down at the table. We just both had a blank piece of paper and we just started um, literally like, these are some of my notes. Like I just, and I was drawing mm -hmm. and I was making notes and we, and I mean, near the end, we came up with the best idea. We were both like, I, we, 
I, we were so excited. It like pumped us up for like the rest of the, the year. We're so excited about this new idea. But had we not had that brainstorm session where we could write everything down and talk about everything, no matter how wild it sounds, because that's literally mm -hmm. how Jim started the conversation. I know this sounds crazy, but right. And that's what we want. <laughs> yeah. We want the yeah. crazy ideas. We want the outside the box, like, and they're all worth writing down. And I just, mm -hmm. oh, Linda, you're just, you're magic. <laughs> you're just, if you, mm. if you read any personal development book, like a Tony Robbins or a Brendan Bouchard, any of these books, what's the number one thing they all say? Write down all your goals in your yeah. own handwriting. Yeah. Make mm -hmm. a vision board, write down your ideas, have everything down, have it down. Yep. Yep. And, and teaching kids, you know, uh, this idea of brainstorming is such a lost art. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it takes time. It time. takes that pause. You know, you can't, you can't brainstorm while you're playing a game. You can't no. brainstorm while you're on Instagram or while and you're on And it's not TikTok. instant gratification. Brainstorming yeah. is thinking about the future, right? The possibilities. And I love, that's the term you use, Linda, mm -hmm. the name of your yeah. chapter. Thinking in possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about yeah. future. Yeah. You have to be able to sit there and be comfortable with your body. You have to be able to self-regulate and sit with your thoughts and sift through the not-so-good ideas, the non-realistic ideas, mm -hmm. and the good ideas. Uh, you know, reading this made me think of this. Uh, I remember I watched a documentary on Saturday Night, Night Live, and one of the most popular cast members of all time was Will Ferrell. Mm -hmm. Because in the back, when they would like during the week, when they would be writing the ideas for sketches, people would raise their hand and say, hey, how about this idea? How about that idea? And every single idea Will Ferrell instantly loved. And he was like, okay, write that down. <laughs> how, can we, how, how can we build off on that? What can uh -huh. we do? And he would make like the lower level cast members feel really good about themselves because they were bringing ideas to the table. And they were, you know, and those were some of the best popular years for the show because they took little ideas and built upon them. Mm -hmm. And if we teach kids to, you know, write down your ideas, okay. Today, there's going to be no phone. There's going to be no computer. There's going to be no video games. Write down a possibility. We can go to the park. We can go on a hike. We can play in the backyard. We can mm -hmm. build something. We can do this. Have them write all the different ideas down. Have them brainstorm. And from that list is a mountain of possibilities. And, it, and them seeing the ideas written down, listed, will help regulate them to make that choice and not go towards that game. Mike, do you remember one of the books we read? And I, I, I want to say it was the first one. Um, but they talked about, oh, it was a curriculum. Oh, I can't think what it's called now. But they, they had the kids make play plans where they would yeah, come yeah, yeah. to school yeah. and they'd be like, yep. okay, make your play plan for today yep. where they actually would like see themselves in the future. Like, well, I'm going to get yep. Legos today. And I think today I'm either going to build a train or a zoo. So that means I'm going to get the animal, you know? And so they had kids, it was that book, wasn't yep. it? Where yep. they had kids actually uh, make a play plan. And I just, I think how clever is that Genius. to have kids Genius. think about and actually visualize themselves playing in the future, meaning in the next yep. 10 minutes, in the next 20 minutes. So, and think about all the different possibilities. And um, I remember when my kids were younger and we would have a snow day, um, I, would, I, I would ask them, and because I, I saved all their toys, um, just, you know, even as they got older, and I'd say, okay, we have a snow day today. What can we all do together? And we would brainstorm. And there would be times where we'd get out all the Lincoln Logs. I, we probably had 10 sets of Lincoln Logs, because, you know, it's not fun to 
just have one set and we would build elaborate like villages, you know, or we would get out all the wooden train track and our goal would be to see if we could use every last piece connected and it would be through the living room and through the dining room because we had a ton of wooden train track. But I'm talking about all five of us would be on the floor trying to make this work. And I just think, gosh, if that's what, you know, we could make early childhood education about, you know, oh, if we yeah. could really, I mean, my kids still to this day talk about, remember when we used to get all the Lincoln logs out or remember, remember when, because those were some of the most meaningful, you know, uh, childhood moments for them. And um, so I really like this idea of, of, of thinking ahead and making a plan and thinking about different possibilities of places we could go or things we could play. Um, gosh, you I can, just wish we could get kids to do that. You can throw that concept into any assignment, any project, any homework, in any class, any grade, any age. So before the child starts, take a five, 10 minute period to say, okay, what do you think this project's going to be like? What do you, how do you think this homework's going to be? What's going to be the most challenging part? Where do you think you'll do it? Uh, mm -hmm. who, do you, who do you think might need to help you? How are you going to feel once you're finished? Mm -hmm. Just the different ways to I use, love it. De use declarative language to build that future thinking. You know, when's a time in the past when you did a homework assignment a lot like this one? What helped you finish that one that you can apply to this? Right. So if we get kids in the habit of instead of, okay, let me get this homework done as fast as possible so I can get to my Xbox as fast as possible. You know, think of a way for them to, you know, to take one minute, two minutes, three minutes to just run it through their head of what they feel is going to come, make predictions. And what I love to do with kids in my clinic is we make predictions, we come up with a plan, then we follow the plan. And then afterwards, we talk about how did the plan go? Did you end up following the plan? Was it successful? Did you do something else? How did you feel when it was done? And you review mm -hmm. it, and you mm -hmm. go over you go over the mistakes that became successful, that became growth points, which is what I, I the mm -hmm. terminology I use with my kids. You know what worked out really well, and what were some things that didn't work well, or some things we can use again in the future. What and did having, you learn from it? Right, having those breakdowns, those review yep. sessions going through the original plan, then what actually happened is really great in social groups and hangout yep. groups and just in general building independent skills. Mm -hmm. I yeah, Linda, um, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I just had two stories to bring it back just from my personal experience with the brainstorming. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like sometimes again, when you just let go and let kids have their ideas and you write them down, it's actually just fun, special memories. I remember mm -hmm. this parent, um, I'm not gonna get the story exactly right, but they were brainstorming ways to get, say for example, for the child to brush their teeth or something like okay. that. And one of the child's ideas was, well, I could invite a ninja into the house and he could do it for me. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're right. That is an, an interesting idea. We could do that. And she wrote it down. And then later as they went along, like obviously they picked something that was a better fit, but they had that special memory together of that joke that, that made, made mm -hmm. you know, so that was Beautifully kind of fun. Said. Beautifully so said. just if you, if you let go and let the silly um, ideas Happen. get down yeah. on paper, yep. then mm -hmm. it, it serves a different purpose in your relationship and your memory and your humor and your laughter together. I love it. Um, and, and then how, another how story. How yeah. a parent have said? Right. We can't get an into that. That's shit. ridiculous. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I want you to be yep. serious yeah. right now. Right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you mm -hmm. just let the, and that's the other thing too, is laughter just promotes more learning and being able to take in information. So if you let those moments of joy and cre creativity in, even though they're not right, um, mm -hmm. they lead to like so many other good things. 
Um, and I remember another story. Um, a, a mom was going to have her son take out the trash, and he started to take it out, but it was in a way than she was usually used to doing it. And mm -hmm. she was picturing that it would all fall and make a big mess. And so she had to let go and just say, you know what, it's a different way. And, um, and let's just see what happens. And he ended up mm -hmm. being successful, but it was hidden his way. So that was a, an example where she had to be okay with a way that was an alternative to what she was. Yeah. So that parent learned something. I love it. Yeah. I have to say, when you were talking, you said something about, you know, keeping joy and laughter, you know, mm -hmm. kind of in the moment. And I, to me, that's, that's so important. And what I wrote down when you were talking was joy keeps the moment going. Because I think that if we try to correct, you know, and tell the child that's silly, or I don't, this isn't a time to be ridiculous, you know, or whatever it is where we, we stop that, then the child is more likely to pull away and be like, well, this mm -hmm. interaction is not fun for me. You just snapped at me. And I don't want to continue this, this discussion anymore. And so it's more likely the child is going to, you know, avoid, you know, and walk away, go into fight, flight or freeze mode. Right. Yeah. But if we can honor the joy and perpetuate the joy, it's going to keep that moment going. And I really mm -hmm. think from a parent perspective, that's something we should strive for. If our child isn't in front of a screen, you know, if we actually have, um, you know, a connection right now, um, don't we want to build on that interpersonal relationship and do whatever we have to, to keep the moment going. So mm -hmm. I love joy. I talk about joy all the time. One of my favorite sayings, as long as there's joy in learning, children That's will right. always love to learn. You yeah. pluck the joy out of learning and make it serious work. And all of a sudden you've got kids who hate school, kids who hate learning, kids who hate talking to their mom, kids who hate their teeth. You know what I mean? It all comes down to now that interpersonal relationship is gone and the child yep. will go into that probably that flight mode yeah. right just mm -hmm. take off disappear um so I, I i just appreciated that statement the other thing linda on page 47 and i think this is powerful for parents um even though i'm an slp whenever we are talking i am almost always thinking about my son you know it's just hard for mm -hmm. me to, to turn that off so on page 47 you talk about when getting started at home use incidental moments throughout the day to practice alternative thinking and i couldn't love this more because I am all about routines-based intervention, trying to give family mm -hmm. strategies to focus on at home during meal time, during laundry time, during, you know, whatever it is, those chores or those incidental learning moments that happen at home. Um, and so there's probably many moments where you typically plow ahead and make decisions without a single word spoken to your child. But what you mm -hmm. suggest is, hey, if we, in the moment, slow down, pause and invite ideas using declarative language. Like I wonder, I love that. Just that mm -hmm. phrase oh, yeah. in general, I wonder what would happen if right kind of thing. Um, what you are doing is teaching important social learning lessons in a positive way. Mm. Mm -hmm. Again, Unbelievable. <laughs> love it. And, and, yep. and, and all it is, is you are externalizing your internal language. language. And, and that yep. is so powerful. Externalizing your self-talk, you know, how, uh, putting yourself on the same level as the child. And mm -hmm. when your child sees, oh, mom is really uh, taking the time to make choices. Mm -hmm. Mom doesn't just, oh, you know how a lot of kids think that parents and adults just know everything. They know it, or all- Or it's they, because I said they, so. Yeah. Because I all, said yep, so. They mm -hmm. know all the facts. They know what's happening. They know all the plans. They know everything. When you show them and you bring yourself back down to their level, like, hmm, I don't know if I want a bike. I don't know if I want to drive. Uh, we have to do the garbage. Should we do the garbage now or later? 
when you <laughs> are externalizing your mental problem your thought solving, process your thought yeah. process you are making it so much easier for them to do it when you're not around and that's what it's all about Mm -hmm. And I think too, that shows, you know, it's all about the moments, like it's not sitting down and teaching these things for an right. hour at a time. It's just really noticing the moments and how you can optimize them and just like, be with your child in the moment and say something out loud, like it's moments over time that really build up to yeah, create and, that and, learning. And parents are always asking, like we say, what can we do at home? What can mm -hmm. we do at home? Number one, have your child write down ideas like we just talked about. Uh, mm -hmm. I, love how, I love how you say every idea is good enough to write down. Write down. Mm -hmm. And a lot of kids with ADHD and executive functioning refuse to write. Nowadays, we have speech to text. We talk about mm -hmm. the benefits yeah. of technology. Yeah. Do some speech to text, do some voice notes, record them saying their ideas. There's mm -hmm. different ways you can yeah. be creative. And number two, externalize your self-talk. And mm -hmm. even, if the, even if something is so obvious, like, obviously, we're going to drive to the grocery store. We have to use the trunk. We have to put other things. Still, work through something in your head. Work through the route you're going to take. Work through the specific store you're going to go to. What you want to buy first. Uh, you know, do we have a list? Should yeah, we make we a, list? a list? What should mm -hmm. we do? Mm -hmm. Make it obvious. And the younger you start, the better. Well, you know, it's funny. I think about when uh, I, t I like to take Aaron to the grocery store with me just because it's a varied experience. It may not seem very yeah. exciting, but it, I, I really think it's an important uh, experience for him. And so as we're leaving, usually I'll say, I wonder, I find myself now, I think back, I'm like, hmm, um, I wonder which car we should take because we have Jim's car and we have my car and Jim's car is an SUV. So there's more trunk space and, you know, whereas my car is a little sedan. Um, and so Aaron will be like, well, how many groceries do we have to get? You know, so he's actually, it's helping him learn to think about, I say, well, we only need to get a couple things. And he'll say, well, we can take your car then mom. So I, I, I just, you know, I think about all those little things and you give great examples on page 48 saying things like, I wonder what topping we could add to our pancakes this morning, mm -hmm. instead of saying, here's some strawberries or, you know, whatever it is, or I notice we're out of staples. I'm wondering what we could use instead. Uh, oh no, the door is locked. I'm wondering how we could get inside if our usual way is not working. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder what we could do instead. So I love that, again, you give some very concrete ideas because I know a lot of times parents, they hear this and they go, yes, I want to use declarative language. I want to do it. And then in the mm -hmm. moment, they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm so used to just telling my kid, take the trash out or, you know, using that imperative language. So mm -hmm. I, I sometimes, Yeah, sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes it's like a carrier phrase. I wonder blank. So right. start with that. If you're having trouble using declarative language, all you have to do is say, I'm wondering or I wonder and uh -huh. just fill in the blank and just literally, you literally can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of declarative language is you can yeah. take the obvious thing. I'm wondering if we should drive or we should walk and, you mm -hmm. know, and obviously mm -hmm. you're not going to walk if it's far away, but you're externalizing the fact that you're wondering that uh -huh. you're doing something in that cause that mm -hmm. is helping you in the future. Mm -hmm. And the it. more you just do it, the easier it gets. It's just about practice and getting comfortable oh, and giving it a try. That's, that's right. Yeah. You so know? the more you use declarative language, there you go. the easier it, the more yeah. automatic it becomes. You should have named mm -hmm. it the I'm wondering hand. <laughs> the I'm wondering, I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering. The I'm uh, wondering. So one request I, um, I've gotten sometimes is just like, what else can I say besides I wonder because uh -huh. I guess, you know, people get tired. Once you, you yeah, once people mm -hmm. get started, they, they just share how they're always saying I wonder or I notice and then just want to know how to um, change mm -hmm. it up a little bit. So I did do a post a little while back, um, two posts just with lots of okay. variations on I wonder. 
um, that you can you can check out. But but oh, I think okay. it's just about starting to talk out loud and yeah exactly yeah um, just exactly. what you're thinking in your mm -hmm. and, and how you, yeah. you come up with even your ideas you know yeah. I'm wondering we could have soup for supper but we also could have you know just the idea I mean what are you actually thinking in your head and yeah. learning to yeah. externalize that and talk out loud which mm -hmm. isn't something we maybe normal are used to doing a whole bunch you yeah. know because we're adults so we usually do self-talk right it's in our mm -hmm. brain and we think about yep. it but just being able to to talk out loud so yeah Belinda this was just you just made my <laughs> night I just I love everything about this so next week we will read chapter eight and let's go ahead and plan on reading chapter nine is that okay Mike because uh, chapter nine is pretty short um chapter yep. Um, eight is a little longer, so I think that'll be perfect. So we'll read eight and nine. Linda, if you're available, we'd love to have okay. you back. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. you, you Linda, see Linda, what your you schedule looks like. You're booked every Monday for the next next couple of weeks. Yeah, hey, so if you pleasure. don't have any plans. <laughs> Clear your schedule now. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a, a, an absolute blast. It was so, so good to spend time with you guys. Uh, we'll be back next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we will read a couple more chapters in the amazing Declarative Language Handbook. If you have not yet... If you're following along and actually purchasing the books as we go, we are going to go ahead and do Linda's other book when we finish this. It's called The Co-Regulation <laughs> Handbook. So you want to go ahead and get on Amazon and order that. Um, and we'll start that sometime in the new year once we finish uh, this this gem right here. So, Absolutely, yeah. All right. Very that good. That was jam-packed awesome. with information. Thank oh. you so, Linda, that was awesome. That was, so, yes. th that was such a helpful live not just for therapists but for parents Absolutely. uh and this is you know this is something for teachers to start to think about we talked mm -hmm. about how there can be more of a planning process in the classroom mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and you know there's there's power in the pause mm -hmm. how power we, in the pause how can we yeah. use that pause in the home and at school and start to build that mental flight that's right excellent yeah. all right totally. thank you guys so much it was All wonderful right. chatting with you great we'll time you thank you Linda. Okay? thanks right. bye, -bye. bye, -bye.